Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Joe and I were joking before the show. Today is the, the Frontline with Joe, Joe, and Joe, uh, because we are, and we mean this sincerely from our hearts, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Joseph Fessio. Um, and uh, a lot of you out there know Father Fessio. We're going to be discussing two uh two giants pope benedict the 16th uh in the first segment and then we're going to be talking to about uh father mankowski okay um and this is going to be a wonderful conversation now many of you like i said know who father fessio is having said that a brief bio father joseph fessio sj is the founder and editor of ignatius press and as i will just say for a second we always emphasize on the show when we have authors on the show particularly to support our catholic publishers at ignatius press has been around for a very long time we need to support father fessio and ignatius in the work that they do father was a graduate of bellarmine prep in san jose he studied civil engineering at santa clara university for three years before entering the jesuits in 1961 he owns a th uh, he holds a degree in theology from the university of regnansburg where then father joseph ratzinger later pope benedict XVI, directed his thesis on the ecclesiology of Hans Urs von Balthasar. Father Fessio taught philosophy at Santa Clara University from 67 to 69. And from 1974 to 98, he taught systematic and spiritual theology at the University of San Francisco before serving in a variety of administrative capacities at Ave Maria University from 2002 to 2009. Now, he founded the Ignatius St. Ignatius Institute at USF in 1976 and Ignatius Press in 1978, both before and after Pope Benedict XVI was elected in 2005. Ignatius Press had been the primary English language publisher of his pre-papal writings. Father Joseph Fessio, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you. And we're not only have three Joes, there'll be four Joes because it's Joseph Rassinger too. I exactly. Love exactly. We love but it. First, uh, I want to I want to correct you in front of your audience here. You call yourself Joe Pacillo, but if you were Spanish, it would be Pacillo. If you're really Italian, it'd be Pacillo, right? It, it was Pacillo, Pacillo, <laughs> so beautiful. And then the other Joe should be Reciniello, right? That's right. That's right. You probably say, you, would you say Resiniello or what do you say? Uh, we say Resiniello, but that is correct. Oh, is my gosh. Resiniello. Oh. Do you know what the funny thing is, Father Fessio, is that growing up, now you're exactly right. I mean, my family in Italy was, was uh, Pacillo. But here, so it got a little Americanized. There's many Italian names, so it's Pacillo. But all my Irish Catholic teachers at Seton Hall Prep, all called me Pacillo. So Good it's funny, them. the Italians call me Pacillo and the Irish call me Pacillo. Yeah, you know, so it sounds like gelato, you know. I mean, we just have these beautiful things. Father, would, right. you lead us in, would you lead us in a prayer to start the conversation? 
sure. Uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now at the hour of our death. Our death. Amen. Seed of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. St. Joseph, pray, pray, pray for us. That's right. And by the so, way, Joe, where do you want to start? Well, we're going to talk about Benedict, uh, uh, yeah. uh, Pope Benedict. Um, and basically, Father, you were saying something. I don't want to cut you off. What no, were you no, going to say? Uh, uh, whatever it was, I forgot already. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Pope Benedict, I know you studied under him in, in Germany. And to be honest with you, I met another Jesuit. You may have known who he was, Father Lawrence Abello, who told me about that was a, a great place to learn. You know, I know you guys have to go out there, uh, part of your Jesuit training. He got sent to India. Father Abello taught at Xavier College in Calcutta. He had a great impact on me personally. Um, he also basically formed about half of the missionaries of charity in the world. Uh, but he told me about that when I knew him before he went on to his reward in heaven. Uh, tell us about that experience. Yes. Well, the German system a little different from ours. Uh, normally you go to a lecture and uh, there may be 80, 90 students that are uh, inscribed in the course, but only one shows up. He's delegated to, to take the note. And they, these had students who were able to do stenography, you know, and they would take notes and the professor would read his notes and the student would take them down and then he'd polygraph them, you know, on a multiplier, what do they call them? Now, you know, didn't have Xeraxes in those days. He'd make copies for everybody and then they'd read those things. And so that's how the class took place. The professor didn't know if there were, if there were students there. One student took notes and made copies. The rest of us read him and then took the final exam. That was it. Ratzinger was different. Everybody was there. I mean, because he was a marvelous teacher, clear, profound. I never once went to a class or heard a homily where I didn't learn something new. Of course, I had a lot to learn, but I mean, nevertheless, it was, it was uh, always enlightening for me to do that. So that was the lectures. The best part, though, were the seminars. We called Hauptseminare. Uh, head seminar. It was a graduate student seminars. There may be 12, 15 of us around a table, and one would make a presentation, and then we'd have a discussion. Now, one of my fellow students, Father Toomey, Vincent Toomey from Ireland, had been in a seminar with Carl Rahner before he came to Rassiger's seminar. And in Rahner's seminar, about two hours long, a student would make a presentation, and then Rahner would talk for the rest of the seminar. In Rasker's seminar, a student makes a presentation. He made sure we all, he didn't say anything except to ask us to speak. We were from many different countries. A lot of us didn't know German that well. I was probably the worst of them all. So I didn't want to say much. I couldn't say much. But he said, Father, you know, what do you think, you know? Uh, and so he would always elicit comment from, and he'd, he'd try and create a real dialogue and a discussion and conversation. At the end, at the end of the seminar, but the last four or five minutes, in maybe one or two long German sentences, he would sum up all that had been said, placing everybody's comments in perspective, putting it in context, actually making what you said more impressive and better than what it was when you said it. He was just a marvelous uh, teacher for listening and then putting everything together in a synthetic way. It's beautiful. So that was not 
characteristic of all German education, but Joseph Ratzinger is one of the great teachers of the late 20th century, early 21st. And in my view, if, if God doesn't call down the curtain on the show, uh, he'll be made a doctor of the church uh, at some point in the future. Father Joseph Fessio is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Uh, first segment, we're discussing Pope Benedict. How did he influence you, particularly, Father Fessio, uh, as a priest, in your role as a priest? What was his, what was his main influence, would you say, is on you? Well, it, it has a lot of perspectives to it, I mean, or aspects to it. Uh, first of all, he taught me so much. And under him, I studied von Balthasar. And, of course, the reason I was doing this at all was that I was in it was a long story, but I grew a beard, you know, like Joe, you probably can't do that. I can't. So, I, <laughs> I have a cheap well, little beard. I, I tried. That's what happened when I tried, you know, not, not even as good as that. But I had a, I had a superior who was uh, an old army chaplain in World War II, and he didn't like beards on young Jesuits. So I, I shaved it, but I went to the provincial to say, look, I'm not a rebel. I'm going to shave my beard. And he said, he laughed. He said, well, have you ever thought about going to Europe for theology? I said, well, no. Should I think about it? Yeah, why don't you think about it? My way back from San Francisco to Santa Clara, I was teaching. I said, okay, I'll go to France, to Fourvier, uh, the Jesuit theologate near Lyon, Lyons. And there I met Father de Lubac, who was one of the great, great teachers, Jesuits, priests, Catholics, scholars of the 20th century. He's an incredible man. And when I asked him where I should do, or what I should do my doctoral studies on, he said, well, he said, uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar is the greatest theologian of our time, and if not, of all time, which is a pretty strong statement for a man who was kind of mild-mannered. So, okay, well, where, I, where should I do it? Well, there's, there's a young professor in, in Regensburg, Professor Ratzinger, he's a friend of mine, I'll write him on your behalf, which he did. So I got to Regensburg, you know, through this wonderful giant of the faith, uh, de Lubac, studying another giant of the faith, Balthasar, and being taught by Ratzinger. Now, I, I thought at the time, because I knew de Lubac and I had read Balthasar, I thought, well, Ratzinger, he's younger, he's probably a popularizer, not an original thinker. Not at all. I mean, in a certain sense, he's the best of the three, because he's uh, he, he can write in a way that's accessible to almost everybody. Because he's not just a theologian, he knows philosophy, history, culture, art, drama, music. He plays the piano. Uh, so I was influ influenced by him to see such a great man being so humble, such a good listener, so serene. I mean, you know, he's not Italian, that's for sure. Uh, so uh, that that, may, that helped maybe mo mollify some of my, my more Italian characteristics. But uh, so the man himself was a, was a model. And there's nobody who's worked with him closely who does not think that he's a saint. He is a saint. I've got no doubt about it. Every day now when I say Mass, I pray to him. I say, help me say this Mass more reverently because he was a liturgist too. I mean, when he celebrated Mass, you just, all of a sudden, uh, a religious awe fell upon the chapel, you know, or the church. He was just, I don't know, so holy. So his teaching, his person, those are all, you know, it would help influence me. Now, it didn't go too deep, as you can tell, but uh, it was, I think, of how bad I would have been if it hadn't been for his influence. <laughs> Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? Well, I want to talk about, like, you know, you mentioned you'd be a doctor of the church. I completely agree with you. Um, 
you know, but you said something I think that a lot of people don't talk about is is humility. I've heard it said, but he was also gentle. Oh my, my God. father was a gentle person. I'm not actually. Yes. I wish I was, to be honest with you, because it's a beautiful quality in a human being. Christ was, you know, gentle and meek of heart, you know, like he was a gentle person, but when he spoke, his his voice echoed across the world. Talk about that, because I, I, I think so many, particularly a lot of men don't have that quality. And frankly, I don't even think it's it's like celebrated, but it's a beautiful quality in a person, a gentle, humble human, truly you know, and authentically. I, you know, Christ was also meek and gentle and humble. Uh, but that wasn't the only thing he was. He did say, get behind me, Satan, to one of his best That's friends. That's true. He did pick up the course and drive. Think about that, driving the money changers out of the temple. That's not exactly meek and mild. So Jesus, you know, is our model in, in, in every direction. And no one can put together all the pieces as he did in his, his life. Uh, uh, but in a certain sense, you know, as all of our strengths are weaknesses as well, like if you're charitable, you might tend to be too... Uh, not strong in defending the faith, or if you're strong in defending the faith, you might not be very, very kind. But <clears throat> that was his weakness, in my view. He didn't want to be a bishop, didn't want to be a cardinal, didn't want to be a pope. Uh, and he knew he wasn't an administrator, but he would not crack down. You know what I mean? Uh, your, your father probably, you know, cracked down on you a little bit when you were young and needed some, some discipline. Uh, he saw the good in everybody. I mean, he met with Hans Kuhn. Uh, he would criticize them. He, he criticized their writings and what they said, but he was always very open, very kind, and even his enemies appreciated and respected him for that. So, yes, I mean, he was, uh, it, it, but he, he had a mild temperament, that's for sure, but he was sharp, and he had a great sense of humor. That's something people don't realize either, that he had a really wonderful, wry sense of humor, uh, with a smile, you can see it in his face on a lot of his pictures. Uh, so then, yeah, he was, uh, we're all unique, you know, and so we each have our gifts and our weaknesses and so on. But certainly, he was uh, a, a real gentleman, you know, a real uh, person of nobility, I would say. You know, I call him the universal Bavarian. You know, I, I could see him with his later hosen on going down the streets where the, you know, the band is playing in the little town, he'd be right in his element there, you know, uh, but he's not just Bavarian. He's universal Bavarian. You know, he, he embraces the whole world. Joe's, you too, Joe's, I'm sorry, you know, I'm a lot older than you guys. And so when you get older, you start talking a lot. You know, I no, that's why you're here. No, I love it. I love it. But here's, uh, Father, for those of you who are just joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. We have the honor of speaking to Father Joseph Fessio. The first segment we're discussing, um, Pope Benedict XVI. Let me ask you something, Father Fessio, because I, when I listen to you, to me, you're, you're very level-headed in a world that's not so level-headed. Uh, in a church right now, it, 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 let's be frank, um, is, is very divided, it seems. I look at Pope Benedict, and I love your comments. And this is my personal point of view. I'd like to tell you tell me if I'm right or wrong or on the right track. I just didn't think the guy could win. Like, like, like he just couldn't win with anybody. For, for, for the liberals in the church— he 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 was he was uh what they call him um uh, Hunter uh, Cardinal God's Rottweiler God's Rottweiler 
for the conservatives in the church, the traditionalists, uh, he didn't fight enough against Vatican II and the abuses of Vatican II. It's like, you know, when he resigned, um, and he said when he was elected, he goes, please pray for me. I won't flee for fear of the wolves, okay? <laughs> but I just feel like he was just getting beset on all sides. And and every time he opened his mouth, it doesn't seem like he could really, like everybody was just coming, like this conversation. I could hear people, why are you talking about Hans Kung? Why are you talking about Balthazar? Why are you talking about Dulubach? You know, they're all liberal. Like, I can hear that out there, okay? Yeah, okay. We don't seem to be one voice. Ratzinger seemed to be, like, right in the middle of, of both these forces. I Tell me if I'm wrong, Father, or if you could agree, if you would agree with that. Well, you're probably wrong. A lot of things, but not on that. I think it's not right probably, on target. Both God knows. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, <clears throat> that's, I mean, you know, Jesus was some, seen by some as, as too meek and by some as too harsh. You know, by some is too lenient, by some is not lenient enough. And so in some things, the social crusader, some say it wasn't even God. I mean, how, how to have, Chesterton says this in Orthodox in, in, in Everlasting Man. Uh, there must be something big about this guy. Everybody has thinks the opposite about him, you know. They they, they, they pull so many pieces out of him. No, you're, you're right. I, I think... Um, he was in the middle, the, the, not the wishy-washy middle, you know, not the indifferent middle, but the, the strong, vigorous middle that really holds the paradoxical ends together. And I say about myself, too, it's very lonely being in the middle. For example, with the Mass, I don't like the way the Novus Order is celebrated most of the time. I don't like facing the people. I think that's a mistake. Uh, I don't like articles, and that's a mistake. Uh, on the other hand, I believe that the council really did want a organic, minimal renewal and reformation of the mass, did not want to simply maintain uh, the extraordinary form, as we now call it, which is a beautiful form of the mass, no question about it. But I think the spirit in the council, you know, at, at the as a result of a long century, long personal movement, wanted some modifications, minor modifications, Organic modification, but so, you know, I'm attacked by both sides. You know, I'm I'm too liberal because I don't want to go back to extraordinary form. I'm too conservative because I don't want to have the Roman service to celebrate. So I'm in good company with with uh, Pope Bennett. The difference is he's a saint, and I'm an Italian. <laughs> well, I listen. I look at it this way. I, I mean, if, if you're if I guess if you're doing that, you're 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 probably doing something right. You know what I mean? If, if, if you're getting attacked by everybody, you're probably doing something right. I just get tired. The reason why I asked Father Fessio is I'm getting tired of having to describe myself um, as Catholic with with a an adjective before that. Yeah. And I don't I don't yeah. want to do that to be Catholic has as as an objective meaning. And it shouldn't be that I have to describe myself as trad or conservative or 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 preconciliar. Like I, I don't like any of that stuff because we're supposed to be one. Jesus prayed that we be one. And we are the church is one, but those in the church, a lot going on. That's why I asked, Father. Well I, I agree with you and uh, you'll appreciate this both of you, Joe, because you got Italian genes. Uh, Late in life, in, in over seven years of age, I said, you know, I'm going to plant a vineyard, which I did at our retreat house. And so I grow grapes and I make wine, okay? It's not great wine, it's good wine. And then I started last year, I started baking bread, sourdough bread, San Francisco sourdough bread. You know, just good bread and good wine. I don't want fancy stuff, not a gourmet. Now, I want to be just a, a Catholic 
a bread and wine Catholic. That's what I want to be. Capital C, that's it. I agree. I think you're spot on. And to be yes. honest with you, I actually think, I mean, my $2 opinion, I think Pope Benedict's version of where the church is going to go is the way it's going to go. Holy people have a way of seeing things. Um, and I know you've written about this, and I want to ask you about the reform of the reform. <clears throat> That's been, you know, stated. Uh, again, critics of it. I actually am of that school. I, I am of that school, and I personally will bet the whole uh, barn on the fact that that's where it goes. That's my two cents, but I'm interested in your your two cents. <laughs> well, I, I, it was in it was March 25th in 1995. I was at a conference in uh, Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs, and I heard a talk given by given by Father Brian Harrison, O.S. Order of Sapientia of Wisdom. Uh, and it was on the reform. That was the first time the phrase was used. And I thought it made so much sense. Namely, what's his idea that uh, we have confusion in the church? The answer is not to simply go back to the, uh, not simply to go back, don't want to split infinitives, to the, uh, the preconciliar mass, nor to accept all the abuses that have taken place now, but rather to go back to, to the masses that was before the council look at what the council fathers said and reform the reform. So I said that, I said that I got a copy of the talk. I sent it to Carl Ratzinger. Uh, and uh, he answered me on April 19th, 19th. I remember the date because it's exactly 10 years uh, before he was made Pope. Uh, but that was when he said, I, I agree entirely with Father Harrison. We need a new liturgical movement. We need a reform of the reform. Uh, to take care of the abuses that, that occurred in the church. So that was that was where the Father Harrison was the one who originated the expression. Carl Ratzinger took it up. Uh, and in the meantime, between 1990 and 1999, he was writing a book on the liturgy called The Spirit of Liturgy. And by the way, you probably know this, but most of his books aren't really books in the sense of a thing written from beginning to end as a whole piece. They're collections of essays, collections of homilies, collections of talks he's given and so on. Uh, but there's three for sure that he did as books. Well, actually, well, I was going to say interesting Christianity, but that was his courses that to begin with. Basically, he, he, he began writing a book in 1990, and he worked on it for 10 years because he was busy as, you know, as prefect of the congregation. Uh, he wrote Jesus of Nazareth, three volumes, as Pope. Uh, but that book was kind of, I think, his masterpiece. You know, he was born on uh, April, that was, that was his birth, his birth, wait a minute, when was he born? April 16th, April 16th, uh, 1927, which happened to be the vigil of Easter, it was Holy Saturday. In those days, the Easter vigil mass was celebrated in the morning, 8.30. He was born at 4.30 in the morning. His mom takes him to mass four hours later. He's baptized in Easter vigil. So he was born right in the middle of the most sacred time of the church's year. And he sees that, he saw that as, as a mission. He was meant to be liturgical, homo liturgicus, you know, and he was. So anyway, I'm wondering, um, that's the reform of the reform. That's what he believed. That's what I believed. And, you know, there's a lot of people now that are coming around that way. Father, the church is a self-correcting institution because... It's, Jesus is the head. So when you when you veer off course, there's something will happen. I mean, people pointed to abuses 
and we all know church history. We're very sober about the history of the church. But those I've heard mm -hmm. it said, and it's demonstrable, that uh, problems, abuses in the church led to great reforms. Great saints, God rose up to straighten the church out. This is not a gotcha question, Father. I want to say that right off the bat. Joe asked you a question of the reform of the reform, okay? Um, do you think there'll be potentially in the future uh, a Vatican III? Well, there'll be another. Well, first of all, as they say, you know, God has more patience than we do, doesn't he? Because he's still, <laughs> we're still here. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you know, and as my friend John Galt used to say here in San Francisco, uh, if God doesn't do something, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Uh, so we're burying them down. But I would say if the church lasts another 50, 100 years, I mean, the church will last at the end of time. But if the, if the, if the cosmos exists for another 50, 100 years uh, with the planet Earth in it, uh, there'll be another council. It may not be at the Vatican. I mean, you know, councils were called after where they were, Nicaea and Ladder and so on. It may be something else. Who Maybe the Manhattan Council. Who knows? I doubt mm -hmm. that. But I was going to say, I don't think that's well. going to happen in New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I think, you know, because again, you know, when things happen, I mean, it's not a shock to us. We've all read history. You know, for every historical event, there's usually, um, you could go to the bank, there's going to be a reaction. Vatican II on one element was an historical event. Okay, yeah, there are yeah. consequences, and then there are a reaction to it. I just wish that we could remain sane as church members. Wow, because there's a lot. You mentioned it, Father. We didn't bring it up. If I think you're going to be a blind man to see that 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 there aren't abuses in the Novus Ordo, um, but yet some of the most reverent masses I've been in, in my life have, have, have all been uh, Novus Ordo masses. So again, um, so again, Father, I, I I just wanted to ask that because it's something that well, a lot of people say. Also, as you know, the fathers of the church looked upon the church as like the moon. It waxes and it wanes. We have new moons and, and full moons. And so we're, we're in a darkening period right now. And there's a book uh, that Ratzinger, well, it was, again, it was radio lectures that he collected, published around 1970 or 69, 70, I think, called uh, The Church and the... No, Faith and the Future was called. And the last chapter is called The Church of the Future. And he's a very modest, humble man. He doesn't, he's, I'm not a prophet. I can't, I can't predict what's going to happen. But here, based on my understanding of what has happened in the past, where we are now, here's what I think is going to happen. He says the church will lose her institutional influence. It will no longer be a, a, a dominant player in, in the secular world order. It'll be smaller. We'll lose institutions. But there'll be a core of intentional Catholics who really love the faith, live the faith, love Jesus deeply, and they will form creative communities that will not not isolate themselves, but will support each other in living the true faith in a full way so that when our secular culture reaches the abyss towards which it's heading now with great speed and people recognize it's a disaster, there'll be a home to come to. That'll be the church. And it, it's, I mean, he wrote that 50 years ago and 53 now. Uh, and I think it's prescient, you know, prophetic. Yeah, Joe Resinello brings that that address up on the show all the time. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, we should all be prefer, prepared for. Father Fessio, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, just a quick 30 seconds, final thought on Pope Benedict XVI, if you don't mind. Santo Subito. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
All right. Um, so if you're just joining us, Father Joseph Fessio is here, uh, and we are talking. The first segment, uh, you know, of course, it's going to be on the app, when, when, uh, and you'll be able to hear it there. The first segment was on uh, Pope Benedict XVI, and when we come back with Father Fessio, we're going to be talking about Father Mankowski. Um, and, uh, and you're joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. We're spreading the truth of the Catholic faith of the New York City metropolitan area. Um, and as I mentioned, please be sure to download the app. We are an EWTN affiliate, so you'll have access to all of our station's content, original content, and EWTN programming. And if you like what Joe and I do, uh, Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Follow us, help us, share the video, whatever, however you can help us. And stick around. We have another great segment with Father Joseph Fessio. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Arsenello, we are way in the breach with Father Joseph Fessio. And in the first segment, we discussed uh, Pope Benedict XVI. In the second segment, we're going to be talking about Father Paul Mankowski, S. Jay, and with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Father, I'll be honest. I didn't know who Father Paul was until we spoke with your friend Phil Waller. Uh, he was on our show, and he kind of broke you know, his life down for us, who he was. I think a good starting place is who was he, in case people who are listening don't know, and why was he significant? I'll answer that, but first I want to make an interjection here, interruption, uh, intervention. Uh, I should have said at the last segment first segment basically uh as we face this greater secularization of our culture especially in the united states but it's in the west all over uh we have to be formed well that's why these radio programs you folks are doing are very important there are now over 600 catholic radio stations in the country they're all serious catholic there's not a single one who's progressive or you know liberal or dissenting so Catholic Radio is important, but it's not enough. you got to read books, too. Book, books are important. And when we started Ignatius Press in 1978, that was a decline in other publishers, and there wasn't much around for serious Catholic public publishers. So we started Ignatius Press, primarily to, to make books by Ratzinger and Dulebach and Balthasar and Bouillet and others who inspire available in English. So I want to encourage people to read books and support your local bookstore. Uh, if you want to get good books, please, the first place to go is your bookstore. Now, there's a lot of good Catholic publishers. I'm not going to mention them, but you can always find good books on Ignatius Press. If there's no bookstore nearby, Ignatius.com. And the last choice should be the Behemoth, Leviathan. Don't go there unless you have to. Find bookstores, Ignatius.com. So now to Father Manikowski. Uh I've known a lot of brilliant Jesuits, okay? And we've had a lot in our history, but he has a unique brilliance, which I think is unequal in the history of the Society of Jesus. Why did you know about him? Because he was silenced by superiors. He wasn't just smart. He was wickedly funny. Uh, and, I mean, he, he could write things which were perfectly true and yet so, so cutting that his 
opponents, you know, liberals in the church couldn't stand it, you know. And so his superiors shut him down. They said, you can't write. Well, they let him write on his topic. He had, he had a degree in comparative Semitic philology. Now, how is that? You know, I don't even know what the heck that is. I was going to say, that's heavy. That's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, you know, he would study Hittite and Akkadian, you know, and Hebrew and Aramaic and all that sort of thing. Uh, and I asked him once, Paul, you, you, you have such great intellectual talent. Why are you spending on this very detailed kind of specifically scientific minutiae? He said, uh, I, you know, the termites are in the foundations. I want to get down to the foundations. Language is important. And, and for example, what he wrote about inclusive language, I mean, it was, again, brilliant. So, uh, yeah, he, he was, uh, it, it, well, um, excuse me, I'm, I'm so much to say about him. Uh, what was beautiful about him was that he knew Semitic, you know, and he knew theology, and he knew pop culture. And he knew what was going on in, you know, in People magazine and and in, in the theater arts and everything. I mean, and he could bring all this stuff in. And then he would write poems, which unfortunately we can't publish because they were so good. But every, you know, like he would uh, write a, um, oh, he'd take a song like uh, from Gilbert and Sullivan, maybe 10 or 12 stanzas about the bishops. And was right on, but one or two stanzas, you'd have some kind of scatological thing there, you know, some kind of <laughs> kind of vulgar language. We can't publish it, but it, it, you know, you couldn't help laughing. I mean, really, you just you you keep laughing for a long time after reading his stuff. The thing, the thing I found interesting about him uh, was he came from a very blue collar. It's almost oh, like yeah. God, kind of like. Like it reminded me of Chiswick in a sense. He didn't have the intellectual gifts that Father Paul had, but he came from like coal miners. Like, and all of a sudden he comes home one day, and I loved in the book, He Leadeth Me or In God with Russia, where he tells his father, I'm going to be a priest. And he was like a guy explained, I not only got into fights, I picked them. He was a thug, and God chose him. Well, here is Father Paul, a blue-collar guy, and he goes to Oxford. That doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't happen. Well, and I'll wait a second. It does happen in good traditional Italian Catholic families because even though his dad was a blue-collar, he actually he rose up and became a manager in the, in the plant, but they were listening to classical music every night. They were reading serious literature. I mean, there was, you know, even blue-collar uh, Italians read Dante, you know? Believe well, it or not, Joe's brother went to Yale, and his father was a teamster. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, so that so that it's true that he, he had his feet on the ground and his hands on the soil, but it wasn't like they were, just because they were poor or, or, or work, working-class people, they were not cultured. And that's a bit of another thing we lost in our culture now is we've lost that very thing. And oh, you're you're raising your hand, Joe. Go ahead. No, no, no. I no. I I want to real quick because a thought popped in my head. I want you to comment really? on that. Why are we not, <laughs> you know, ca ca uh, Catholic education in America? Okay. Uh, Joe went to Joe went to Queen of Peace. I went to Seton Hall Prep. You read the classics. You you were formed. Okay. Um, 
Do, do you find that there's that there's been a decline in Catholic education? Because I, I'm with you. All the kids <laughs> I went to Seton Hall Prep with were, were, were blue-collar guys, whether they were Irish from the Essex County suburbs or whether they were from Newark or Belleville and they were Italian, all blue-collar. Very few of the kids I went to school with were, were from, let's say, the more the, the, the richer, the more wealthy parts, all right? Very successful coming out of school. Very well-read. They went to great schools, okay? Uh, what's your thoughts I know it's a bit of a digression, but what's your thoughts on Catholic education right now? Well, there's been a decline in Catholic, both in the high school and college level. There's a book we did called The Poor Old Liberal Arts by Father Gannon, uh, who lived through the decline in the early 20th century, actually, which explains that. But here's, have you had Dale Alquist on your show yet? Yes. Yeah, yeah. twice. <clears throat> Two have times. You, okay. Have you talked about the Chesson Academies? Uh, he mentioned that we just he had him on them. with Joseph Pierce. Okay, well, have one again and describe these things because, you know, when his oldest child in, in Minneapolis St. Paul was ready for high school, he found that there was no high school he could trust with his kids, so he started his own, Chesterton Academy. Now, Dale is a great man. I mean, that guy's done so much for the church. He loves Chesterton. He's the Chesterton scholar in the world, except for maybe Aidan Mackey, who's 104 years old in England. But so he started this school. You know, this year now, we're in 2023, there are 46 Chesson Academies, almost all in the U.S. There's one in Iraq and one in Italy, uh, but the rest are here. And next year, there'll be 16 more. I've looked at their curriculum. I mean, it is a phenomenal curriculum. It, it, it's, it's classical, and it's, uh, it, it really enriches the students. And it's proven itself. It's been around for more than 10 years. These high school students actually are capable of that kind of education so we can give it to them so once again uh, i have a lot of hope for the church in the united states uh, it's not we may get smaller or at least you know a lot more nominal catholics but look at the radio stations look at the blogs look at the schools yeah. look at the home schools well I, mean, Father, I look at it i look at it this way and i'm going to hand it over to joe we'll keep talking about father paul mankowski i look oh, yeah. at it this way if let's say for argument's sake I mean, we already can identify the smallness of, of of the Catholic Church in America because let's face it, and this is not me. Church, I'm again, I'm not judging them. I want to be clear, but they're certainly not living a Catholic life, or at least not in the not at least not saying that they value the Catholic faith as let's say we did. I mean, none of us did it perfectly. Our parents didn't do it perfectly. But I have the faith. I came back to the faith after straying for for quite some time in my adult life. But but most people, most Catholics in America, they're like American Christianity in general. It's a, it's a mile wide and an inch deep, as Joe Resinello likes to say on the show. Well, let's get something straight here. You're you know, if you say X is Y, that's a judgment. If you say X X's are Y's, that's a judgment. If you say Catholics are a practical atheist, that's a judgment. It's not being judgmental in the sense of condemning people. You don't know their hearts. But you have to look at the evidence. And if you're not making judgments, you're not thinking. You know, you're inert. You're inorganic. Uh, so don't worry about making judgments. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. Well, so thank you for that. Father Fessio joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. And, and yeah, we, we always try to get to a little bit of trouble here and go into the breach. And we have the right person to go into the breach with, with, uh, with Father <laughs> yeah. Fessio. But we're discussing, uh, we're discussing Father Paul Mankowski, Joe Racinello. Father Paul was critical. Um, and in you, you mentioned it, that the superiors kind of shut him down. And this is, I think, a unique quality 
that I'd like to explore. He listened to them. You see, I remember a while back um, when Father Karapi started to go off the reservation, and I knew a nun, a very holy nun. Um, she was a missionary of charity, and I was talking to her about it, and I was, you know, it bothered me. And she said, Joe, he should just shut his mouth because God will defend him. And <laughs> like after, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of people wouldn't do what Father Paul did because he felt he was right, and and he was, but he said. I'll submit. He took vows. And and that is, I think, something very few people would do. Talk about that, because oh, I, I think it's very unique. And in a sense, I think it's beautiful. No, it was be I mean, beautiful as a Jesuit. He, he, he believed he was a Jesuit. He had to be obedient. He was obedient. And now his voice is, is coming out. You know, I want to put this picture up. You can see this picture. That is a beautiful picture of him because it, it, it captures, you know, he's got a sense of humor already, but he's serious. Like he's like a linebacker saying, oh, you might get, you might get through the uh, offensive line. You're not getting through me though. Uh, and, but what's happening, so that's the first book we did. The second book you talked with Phil Lawler about, this is called Diogenes Unveiled because uh, he, he wrote under a pseudonym. So there's a lot of Diogenes stuff that Phil Oller published, and we're not publishing in this book. We'll do some more. But there's a third book coming out we're going to do. It's called uh, The Sound of Silence by, by Kieran Hall. Kieran Hall is and was a major screenwriter in Hollywood. She did MASH, with one-on-ones for MASH, and other things like that. Well, when she came back to the church in Hollywood, it was with the Jesuits there, and uh, they were very liberal. And she suddenly, she began, this is, doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense. Uh, it was her father, I, no, oh, yeah, she, she married uh, 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 one of Dot Walker's sons, and Dot Walker was a really uh, evangelical Catholic woman in Florida. Anyway, Dot told her that uh, she had to get to know Bonkowski, so uh, Karen went to the Fellowship of Catholic Scholars meeting in Kansas City and met him and really was impressed by him, respected him. So she proposed a, uh, a series uh, for its AMC, American, what is it? Uh, a American Movie Classics? That's it, American Movie Classics. Uh, she wanted to do a series on a, uh, a, a Orthodox priest in a liberal seminary. And she was going to make Mankowski the, the, the hero of the thing. And he actually wrote a lot of the parts for her. This went on for a year. Well, then they changed ownership or leadership at, at uh, MC. And so they, they killed the project. But in this book, we're going to have Mankowski. She wants Mankowski to have a voice. So in this book, uh, she's going to have both her you know, interactions with him and emails with him. And she's going to have these parts where he actually wrote uh, for, for this uh, TV series. And then she also was a novelist with Simon & Schuster. She wrote a best-selling novel back 25, 30 years ago. And when she did, uh, either she or her editor came over and said, what would happen if an author you know, changed her view of things uh, and then wrote, rewrote the novel 20 years later? Well, she wrote the novel when she was liberal. And, and, it, and it had to do with a priest, a bunch of priests and everything like that. Well, so 
she went back to this editor who now who had become the CEO of Simon and Schuster. So what do you think? Yeah, do it. So she actually rewrote the novel uh, with another character, and Paul Minkowski was the character. And once again, she used his emails and some of his text to make him a voice in that novel. So anyway, you're right, Joe. Uh, it was a beautiful thing that he was a being as a gesture, but now uh, he, he, what he wrote is going to come out and people are going to be very much um, inspired by it. But it shows that you trust in God. Because God yeah. always, like, I, I read another one uh, of the book about Charles Dufoucault. He wasn't successful. He was the seed that died in the desert. And then from that seed, things happened. Like, and this is the thing I love also about Father Paul is he was unshaken by all the craziness. He believed in the church. I'll be honest with you. I believe in the church. I completely believe in the church with all of our warts. And when I mean not the church's warts, the people, it, it, it's God's church. He believed in it and he didn't lose faith in it. And I think that's another quality. There's too much, you know, like craziness, complaining. I was going to use another word, but like, we, mm -hmm. yes, they're legit. But the church is the church, and its truths are everlasting, and we have to believe in them. Amen. And that brings up a point, a commonality between Pope Benedict and, and Paul Minkowski. Both of them were brilliant, you know, in the top 1% or more of brilliance on this planet. Both are very humble. Why did they have confidence in it? Because it wasn't, they were not promoting themselves and their knowledge, and their ability, their talents, they were deeply, deeply embedded in the church and her tradition. And they knew they were not speaking for themselves, but speaking for Christ through his, you know, saints, through his scholars, and so on. By the way, this is a very important practical thing I want to mention. Uh, We've been blessed with some really wonderful popes, and I think John Paul II and Benedict are some of the greatest popes in the history of the church. But you know, I've I've lived through seven popes. Okay, so I can't I can't adjust my life every time we have a new pope. I'm very happy when we have popes who read as deeply, you know, holy as Benedict and and John Paul II were. But we have to we have to root our lives in the fullness of the Catholic tradition, the great saints, the great spiritual writers, the doctors of the church, the fathers of the church, uh, the councils, all this, that's not gonna change. And so we can we can buffer ourselves as it were against minor fluctuations that happen in history by being immersed in the fullness of the church. By the way, that's why we publish Ignatius Best Books, you know, you can always, uh, Deepen your understanding of the tradition by buying our books and reading them and giving them to your friends. So that's a little advice for now, I would say, that's very important in the time we're in. Father Fessio, let me ask you this. Father Paul obviously was not afraid to engage in battles. You, just, just by virtue of the fact that you, you, you're a publisher, you're already engaged in the battles. Joe and I, you know— I, I, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our thing. Okay. We're, 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 we're trying to, you know, we're, 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 we're on the front. We're literally on the front line because we are one of the infantrymen that's out there, you know, trying to get out there and fight the battle, but talk about this. 
Some people might think that we like the fight. And not, and not for anything, I do like argument. I do. I wish the other side would engage us in argument because we would trounce them, okay? But I do like battles. I do like uh, fights. Not with fists, but with words and ideas and truth, okay? Um, but talk about the need to always remember. And this, is, I think, is important for Catholic media to remember, okay? The, even though we love the fight, the goal is the salvation of souls. That's what Father Paul would say. That's what you would say. And that's what we have to remember. If I rail against what that disgusting display at the Grammys the other night, it's not because uh, it's not for any other reason that I don't want young children, young kids to be influenced by that nonsense. I'm concerned for their souls. And yes, I'm concerned for the souls of the people that are participating in that. OK, but ultimately we fight because souls are at stake and we're called to uh, to fight by Jesus himself. Talk about that, Father, and you need to keep that as our focus. Sure. Well, you know, you have a treasure of the show is a little flower, and that's one aspect of the life of Christ and the life of a Christian. Uh, you also have Jesus calling people brood of vipers. Well, someone's got to do that. It's dangerous because you can get let your own anger get in the way. But anger is not a sin, you know. Wrong anger can be a sin, but just anger, you you, you have to hate evil. And there's someone's got to speak out against it. At the same time, we, we got to remember that uh, everybody is loved by God into, into existence, and everybody is called by God to live a life of holiness. And we want not to win arguments, but to save souls, as you said, Joe. And, and uh, actually, C.S. Lewis has a little poem about that, uh, where, you know, he, the, being right is not the highest good. Uh, helping to persuade another person and get that person to listen to you, that's what's important. So yeah, somebody has to do the fighting. And we have to be very careful that we don't become uh, bellicose in doing it. But by the way, Paul Mankowski, he was literally a fighter. I mean, he, he was a boxer. He, I think he won the amateur contest when he was in uh, Oxford. He, he was studying in Oxford, he was boxing, you know. His sparring partner was the former, who became the prime minister of Australia. Yeah, uh, he he wrote. That's amazing, actually. Yeah. I, I wanted to also talk about like being bold it, in season and in out because he did that, and and people don't like to bite the hand that feeds them. Um, but ultimately, as Catholics, we have to trust God. I think this is what's lacking. Like we don't trust Him. Like I have five kids. If I lose my job, by the way, we talk. I'm in trouble, but I trust God. He'll take care of me. Father Paul, and he has, and he's taking care of my wife. He trusted God. Like, we don't see that enough in the church. Take my title. Take it. It doesn't matter. Like, and yeah, I think that's, it. it's a lack of faith, Father. Yeah, and you know something? Faith is also the faith in the future of having children. And so if you can hold out long enough, then uh, if you get in trouble, your children will support you. You know, that that's a beautiful thing about having children. So, yeah, we, we have to all try and do what God wants us to do. And we're all flawed and we all, you know, don't see our own sins as well as you see the sins of others, that's for sure. But we, we can't be timid. We only got one life to live. Let's throw our whole life into the, the the fray and do what God wants us to do. 
somebody's got to speak out. I agree. And he did. And and like he really did. And, and and I think we all can do that, but we're afraid. I always say on the show, we want to be invited to the barbecue. I don't want to go to the barbecue. I don't <laughs> want to go. Well, I I wanna, go to Joe, heaven. I want to go to your barbecue. You can come, <laughs> both of you. I'll cook for yeah, you. I'll okay. make broccoli rob too. Yeah, well, I'll bring the wine, but but here, here's the thing. You you picked a good name, the front line, but you know something? The front line is totally useless unless there's reserves behind logistics, people preparing the ammunition, everything. I mean, look at the war going on in Ukraine right now. That's going to be won by not the front line, but by what's coming up from behind them. And so we have to be here on the front line, but we have to remember that we can't do our job unless there's people behind us working with us. Well, and, and and I think, yes, that, that is important to remember. I'm trying to figure out where Joe and I are. Are we on the front line? Or are we cooking chicken parmesan for the troops? I, I, I'm not exactly sure. Well, well, okay. Let me ask your opinion on this, because obviously every, everything nowadays is political. Everything. Okay, you walk down the street, if you bless yourself, you know, that's, that's a political statement of some kind. Um, American, and we only have a few minutes left, but American conservatism seems to be, and what Joe mentioned about trusting in God, American conservatism seems to pay a lot of lip service to God, but don't doesn't seem to trust him much because we're always looking for political solutions to what are at, at heart in America spiritual problems. I'm going to give you a quick example, and I love your comments. A Roman Catholic uh, congressman, Ed Markey, uh, at the State of the Union, wears a lapel pin that says abortion with a heart in the middle of it. That's a spiritual problem, Father. That's not a, that's not a political problem. What's your opinion? Because I think everybody's looking for political solutions and nobody wants to stare at America's mirror, okay, and say, no, 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 our problems are spiritual at, at, at heart. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm proud to be an American and an Italian-American. Uh, and I think everybody should be proud of his country because his country gives him all kinds of things, you know, innumerable things. Uh, but we're Catholics we're first. I mean, we God has to come first. That's it. Uh, and we, the only way that we will have a prosperous, flourishing country is if we conform to God's plan in creation, which is male and female created them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That doesn't mean to exploit it and destroy it. It means to honor it, make a garden out of it for God. But if, look, if God isn't first, nothing is going to work. Athanasius has a great Greek expression uh, when he talks about, he talks about being Ta'on, that which is, and ha'uk'on, that which is not. He calls man ha'kata'onta, the one who is according to being. The idea is that we're nothing by ourselves. If we don't turn to God and depend upon him, we fall back into nothingness. That's exactly what Athanasius said, you know, and it's true. So the it's a lack of, it's a lack of faith, a lack of genuine faith. And someone who calls himself a Catholic and wears a pro-abortion pin, is not living the Catholic faith, period. No. Is not living the Catholic faith. Father, we have time for one more question. Joe Resinello. Ultimately, speaking of that, I mean, 
It's about living the faith. Father Paul, he spoke it and he lived it. Um, that has to be rooted in prayer, Father. I, I think all of it has to be rooted in prayer. You know, you talked about like, you know, the reform of the reform on the other side of the break. I actually believe we're wasting a lot of time on a lot of things that if we prayed, sat in front of the Blessed Sacrament, went to confession, received the Eucharist in a state of grace, prayed the rosary, particularly as a family, we'll start to see the direction we need to go. Please speak on that. I agree entirely, except Father, I Father, got about add, a minute, got about one minute left, Father. Okay, I would also add to that a personal private prayer, even a few minutes a day. Uh, and I would say uh, a word for the Psalms, we know how Jesus prayed. We know how Mary prayed. They prayed the Psalms. That was their prayer. When you pray the Psalms, which is the official prayer of the church, you're not only joining with all the Catholics before and after you and around the world, you're joining with Jesus and Mary who pray those very words. And if you do if you do a little, little chant, then you are going to sing those words the way they did because chant comes from the Jews. And if you want a little, little little Hebrew, which is not a bad thing to do, it's not too difficult, you can actually say some of the words uh, which Jesus said and Mary said when they prayed this. And I'll leave you with just a few, just three, four, three words, four words from Psalm 63. Elohim, Eli, Ata, Ashereka. Elohim, God. Eli, my God. Ata, you. Ashereka. Used one time in the Bible. I long for you like someone longs for the dawn to come in the darkest night. So that's my, my closing word, Joe, is Elohim Eli Ata Ashareka. Father Fessio, that's a great place to end the conversation. It's been an honor to have you on the show and a pleasure, and you're welcome back here anytime at the front line with Joe and Joe. All right. God bless you. Bye. God bless you. Thank you, Father, and thank you all out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two quick things. Reminders, download the app, share it with your friends, and please follow Joe and I on social media, primarily The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube and at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Uh, and remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>